Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stable and Able Podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Karen Wickian. And I'm another host, Brenda Nickel. Coming to you from beautiful Bolton, Ontario, Canada. North side. <laughs> no, I hesitated. I was trying to beat you this no, time. No, no, I was no. giving you a chance. No, I, I, I got, I got educated about saying the north side. Why? Because it should be the North Hill. Because we're um, on a hill. We're on a okay. hill. So we're on beautiful hill. North Hill, Bolton. On, it's going to get longer and longer. Yes. A couple of years from now, we'll have like just a three minute yeah. opening. Yeah, exactly. Coordination, <laughs> 45 degrees south, 85 degrees north. And the temperature <laughs> is. <laughs> we have southwesterly winds coming in. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, when I was driving here, I, um, I felt like car was sort of swaying and stuff and i'm like but I, there wasn't a lot of trees so i couldn't tell if it was really windy so i'm like hey siri and she wouldn't answer me so i was like hey siri hey siri <laughs> and finally i said she answered me and i'm like what what's the wind today and she's like there's no wind today I'm like are you being sarcastic what do you mean don't talk back to me <laughs> there's no wind today oh god Poor between siri. no between it's going to be windy today oh did you hear that? Oh my gosh. Siri told me, she's like, you think you can talk about me behind my back, girl? Yeah. Nope. Well, there you go. We you know all about But didn't you hear what she said? She pretty much said there's no wind today. Yeah. Well, there must have been something brewing. Well, see, that thing that we just talked to um, is a bit of a jerk, I find. She's a bit of a snob. Mm-hmm. Whereas Alexa, she's, she's more friendly. <laughs> well, that's nice to know. I don't use either. We have Alexa at our house. And you know, if you whisper to it, she'll whisper back. Oh, God. If you go, Alexa, what's the temperature? And she'll say, hi, Kay. It's four degrees out. But whispering. I did that once when my son was over and he's like, don't ever do that again in front of me. (laughs) That's creepy. I don't like it. So anyway. Okay. Also, one more thing. One more thing. Sorry. Sorry. I can also turn the TVs off and on with it. Okay. So I'll hear Mary in the living room, turn the TV off to go to bed, and then I'll tell it to turn it back on. Oh, so the TV keeps evil. turning back on and off, and she's like, Alexa, I told you to turn the TV off. And she'll hear me going, hee hee. She goes, you little brat. <laughs> Sorry. That's good. Have a little bit of a fun opening here. Why not? Yeah, why not? How are you doing? I'm really doing well. I'm doing very well, actually. Um, just rocking and rolling and... Counting down the days for when I go away. You're going away? I am going away. I am going away. Yes. Just, I don't have the minutes and the hours counted down, just the days, but yeah. I go away in my mind. Is that the same? This is a little different. I come home with tan lines. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I know we're not supposed to tan and stuff. It's bad for us, but I feel better. You know what it is? It's the vitamin D that makes me feel better, and I have like proof of it. Yes. Exactly. Um, and how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Um, my poor Mary got uh, injured. She hurt her knee pretty bad. So we've been trying to help her out there. And uh, But otherwise, you know, we're doing good. Good. Status quo, hanging in there. Knock well, on wood. Knock on wood is right with uh, all the things, all the things. I didn't that get strep on. throat, thank God, <laughs> since you've like put it in my body's brain. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, that didn't translate into oh, an actual illness. Can you imagine? Illness. Can you imagine? Oh man, I would have showed up at your door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to be taking care of me Come the here, next couple days. I'm going to lick your face. I'm gonna... <laughs> okay, let's, let's get into this. Okay. So we're episode five. This is the final episode of the um, eating disorder series. And we're going to be talking about different uh, eating disorders that most most of them will fall under the category of OSFED, which is O-S-F-E-D, stands for Other Specified Feeding or Eating Disorders. The lesser known ones or the more rare ones. And uh, yeah, so we're going to get into that. The first one we're going to talk about is PICA. Okay. Go ahead, say your blurb. Okay. We've been pronouncing it PICA, but it's PICU. I don't believe it. Well, believe it. I'm and, not saying Paiku. I refuse. Okay, okay. All right. You can say Pika. I'm going to say Paiku. 
throughout the podcast. You're so like the podcast. The podcast. You're so like arrogant the way you say it. Pai you should Kuh. see her. She, her head goes back and she blinks her eyes and goes Paiku. Paiku. <laughs> and I do with my eyelashes. <laughs> Okay, let's get started into Paiku. Okay, sadly, it's an eating disorder in which a person eats things not usually considered food. Now, what does that mean? Kids, we know, uh, they go beyond, you know, they eat grass and they'll eat dirt. They're experimenting with stuff like that. But this is beyond that. We're talking about stone, bricks, chalk, soap, paper, soil, etc. Feces. Feces, yes. Hair. Yeah. Uh, Paint chips. Yeah, yeah. And it occurs in children. Paiku is a feeding disorder in which someone eats, like I said, non-food substances that have absolutely no nutritional value. Paper, soap, paint, chalk, even ice. The ice is so they have the feeling or the sensation of chewing on something or chomping on something or mm-hmm. something hard like a candy or something like that it's probably the least harmful but still can cause quite a bit of harm. absolutely absolutely no single cause for paiku some cases are a deficiency or oh, that, that's deficiencies the case in iron zinc or other nutrients which is mostly seen in pregnant women right yes um that was mentioned that at some point the neurotypical pregnant woman has cravings for chalk that just blows my mind i mean like so what we're saying so correct me if i'm wrong what you're saying here is that mostly it's in children it can be in adults but it's more likely to be in pregnant women right and it's because they have some sort of deficiency right but chalk right what tells your brain I need chalk? I know. I I can't even fathom. Did you have any like weird cravings? No, I did not. I liked mustard and cra- Katie and chocolate milk. Did you? Like that was a meal for me that I'd be like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it was I bizarre because it made no sense, but maybe, I don't know. No, if anything, I stopped eating foods that I liked mm-hmm. and started eating foods that I didn't necessarily like. Wow. And chocolate of all things, was one of them. I wasn't a big chocolate eater, but then when I was pregnant... It's incredible, eh? I what your body... I enough, and I was told, well, you're not supposed to eat chocolate when you're pregnant because it's bad for the baby. Uh-huh. So it wasn't... And here you're like, I, I want chocolate. Yes, yeah. Um, as I said, there's no single cause for Paiku. Paiku isn't exclusive. I'm kind of going off in a, in a roundabout way here, but autism spectrum disorder... It isn't exclusive to autism spectrum disorder. It has been seen with people with developmental disabilities, schizophrenia, OCD, and like I said, neurotypical pregnant women. This disorder is more common in children affecting 10% to 30% of young children ages 1 to 6. Wow, that's a big number. It's a big number and it's very young. Well, up to about two, you're sort of exploring your wor- world, right? Right. You're like, you see, like you were saying, they put some grass in their mouth and go, bah, bah, bah. Yeah. you know, trying to figure it out. But after two, that's, uh, yeah. And that's, those are those formidable years of, of growing. Yes. Needing absolutely. that nutrition. Absolutely. Actually, one quick thing, um, that and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I've seen or heard that, uh, that people that are in, uh, severe poverty, and I've seen, like, in different countries, well, they will actually make a, a, a bread and put, like, dirt and mud and, like, things in that to to make it filling. Feel like they're getting some substance, yeah. some food. Terrible. Yeah, socioeconomical. Um, they're just hungry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They just need something. Um, Paiku symptoms can be really intense and addictive. And disrupt the quality of your life. This blew me away. Five facts. It's been around since ancient times. Wow. Yes. Other animals experience it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There are multiple subtypes. 
certain conditions have a higher rate of PICU. PICU isn't limited to deficiency or disorder. And compared to males, a significant higher number of females showed symptoms. Huh. Yeah. And just a little, where is my little piece here that I thought was rather interesting? Um, PICU was first used as a term for a perverted craving for substances unfit to be used as food by Ambrose Paré. Perverted. <laughs> perverted, I know. 1509 to 1590. Wow, wow. This, this uh, Ambrose lived and coined the phrase Paiku. Paiku. And the Latin name for the magpie bird, okay, who has a penchant for eating almost anything, Okay. Paiku means magpie. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I love this stuff. Yeah. I love all these like little tidbits of information. Yeah. Yeah. Individuals with Paiku displayed lesion in the posterior part of the middle temporal. I don't know how to pronounce his case. G-Y-R-U-S. Gyrus? Gyrus. Okay. So I'll, I'll say that again. Uh, what are the health risks? Mm -hmm. Individuals with PICU displayed lesions in the posterior part of the middle temporal gyrus, although spread across a wide area. Because of temporal lobe damage, it might be associated with PICU. Yeah, so um, two of the most common causes of PICU are an eating disorder mm -hmm. and malnutrition. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 28% of children with autism and eating disorders. Additionally, children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds are more likely to develop haiku. Yeah, sorry, I sort of jumped in. There. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. It's just so friggin' tragic. It is. It, it really is. Um, in some cases, according to the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, is a simple multivitamin. This freaked me out. A simple multivitamin supplement may be an effective treatment. Wow. Talk about your using minimal treatment. Like scary that it just takes a multivitamin, but incredible is that a multivitamin can, can help. Well, not only that, what has that child or the sufferer gone through yeah. before you realized that? Well, it's often misdiagnosed. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so that's the whole thing and then it's like you get a proper diagnosis like oh. well it is a mental disorder mm -hmm. so i for me that would be what i would think you're going to look at first is the mental disorder are you going to look at paiku because it is so unusual mm -hmm. so you have this child who's eating things that they shouldn't be eating. I think you're going to address it on a mental illness level mm -hmm. as opposed to an eating disorder level. What it, do you think? No, I can, I can totally see that happening. It depends on a person's level of understanding of the disease, which for me would be like zero. Um, your your team, your doctors, that kind of stuff, and, and how it's in the parents' level of education with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. how often it's seen happening and like the symptoms as they come about. But I would think that 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 would be one of the first things you look at. What is making somebody want to eat these inanimate objects or whatever you call it, non-nutritional foods or non-food mm -hmm. items. Right, sorry. Right. So, I mean, right away, I think mental health. Yeah. You know, um, I, I didn't necessarily, a little bit of my head went to like, okay, malnutrition or uh, deficiencies and vitamins and stuff like that. But because uh, I mean, okay, the one thing I did hear about, and I think almost everybody said, what about those women, you know, eating weird foods and some women eat chalk, but that's about, about as far as my head went with that. I didn't know that it was like so intense that it could be so serious. Right. Especially when you look at some of the health risks or some of the things they're eating, like we were saying, okay, chalk, that's not great. But when they're eating things like feces and dirt and lead paint chips and stuff like that, right? right. That is, that's a whole other level, right? Because right. by then your health is really, it's going to show. So you're not, you, you go, 
this is more than just being a mental health thing. Now it's also a very, it's physical. So maybe when the two come together, they say, oh, I think something's going on with this, right? Because, I mean, just looking quickly here, like intestinal infections from soil and feces get parasites and worms. Lead poisoning. What about bowel obstruction? Your esophagus. Yeah. And mouth and teeth injuries. Exactly. Um, bowel obstructions. Yes. If you've got, there's some people that they eat so much of their hair mm-hmm. that it becomes this gigantic hairball. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not meaning to laugh there. I'm just like, it's that bad. Like then they have to get that removed. Right. But sometimes it's not, especially if it's like someone that's not too much older, because it, you can go months, even years with this in you mm-hmm. and not even know it until it's far advanced. Right. So yeah. Maybe it's when you get, when you notice these things added with their health deteriorating, then you can say, okay, well, this is a mental health issue that may also have a physical foundation to it, like you said, in terms of malnutrition and that kind of stuff. Right. Scary. It is. And one thing that um, intrigued me was that it's not exclusive to autism spectrum disorder. And I think about a child that isn't diagnosed with being on the spectrum. They're, are they more teachable? Can we help them better? Because some children on the spectrum, we can't necessarily always discuss with them an issue. This is a problem. You can't... Um, reason with them i think uh that along with uh just developmental or intellectual disabilities i think it's whether it's i think i guess what i don't know i feel like i'm kind of mushed up in my brain what i'm trying to say is that to me on the outset it looks like a mental health thing like why are they doing it what why does that have to happen like what what is causing it and then the physical comes about and it's like okay is it is it a deficiency or is it a mental health thing or is it both Right. And what's causing it. And certainly your health will really deteriorate and you will be malnourished and you will have right. um, these things because of it. So I think it has to be treated as like a multidisciplinary. Right. But right off the bat, I my head, I'd be like, I think this is a mental health issue or a developmental delay uh, or disability thing or pregnant women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And just the, the socioeconomical yeah. poverty, poverty, um, not having anything. You know, so unfortunately, there there is a lot on Paiku, um, but this really sums it up for me um, in terms of what this disorder looks like and who it affects mostly. And um, yeah, I can easily close off close off on that. Yeah, that's. Um... Again, we were just talking today about the human body and how resilient it is, but sometimes it's even just a little thing that can can throw everything off. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that is Paiku. Paiku. Paiku, yeah. Do you guys know anybody who's had it or anybody that was pregnant and having those um, uh, things? I don't know anybody that has had it, but it isn't the first. I want to know if the listeners do, though, right? Like, Let us know. And I, it, it's not the first time that I've heard about pregnant women eating chalk. <laughs> it's just so weird. Yeah. Let's just do chalk lit. Oh, I just okay. Got... We're going to delete that. <laughs> uh, I'm a little high today, guys. If you haven't noticed, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Please don't think that. I'm just, um, I'm, I'm a little bipolarly high. Yes. And, and these things will happen. Yes. Okay. They will. So let's talk about rumination, is it? Is it rum- no, it's rumination. 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 Yeah, and I just I, I also want to give one one little plug to okay. Nedic or Nedic, N E D I C dot C A, the National Eating Disorder Information Center. I just wanna keep raising that. It's they have information, they have referrals, they have support to people in Canada. Okay. Um I'll put that in the show notes so people can access. I know you will. I yeah. know you will, Case, but I just needed to say that again, especially after looking at Paiku. It's an excellent resource for sure. It is. Yeah. It is. It comes up a lot. They know a lot. Yeah. So, Kays, you go ahead with your rumination. Rumination. 
Okay, so again, like ARFID, this is something that I had never heard of before. I'm going to give a bit of a DSM-5, which is your psychiatric uh, Bible thing that we talked about before. And this is sort of the definition from there. It's uh, repeated regurgitation of food over a period of at least one month. So the regurgitated food may be re-chewed, re-swallowed, or spit out. And, there, and it's not attributed to or associated with a, a GI, gastrointestinal condition, or other medical conditions. It can be a standalone condition, and but it can occur with anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorders, and ARFID. Okay. So it can stand alone or be a part of it, okay. a part of the symptoms. And if it occurs um, along with the other eating disorders, it's definitely meant to be treated as a mental health disorder. Okay. Um, especially if it's severe enough to warrant additional medical um, attention. And you'll see where I'm going with there, but this is a really interesting condition. It mostly affects children and some adults, and it's mostly a reflex, not a conscious action. Okay. And it's also called automatic regurgitation. So for some people... It is like if you have GERD, which is uh, like heartburn. Right. But for some people, it's just, it's not related to another. Um, eating disorder? Or, or Eating disorder or physical illness. Okay. Like, like GERD or gastroparesis. And gastroparesis is when you're, uh, uh, you're, you can't digest food or it takes a really long time to di- digest food and it just kind of sits there. Mm-hmm. Um, it also becomes a habit. So the relaxation of the diaphragm becomes a learned habit so that instead of keeping the food in, you audit the, what happens is they automatically relax and, and open up that area. So the food just automatically comes up. So some of it's condition, a, a medical condition, and some of it is learned or oh. not learned. It becomes a habit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the symptoms, that's why I find this so interesting. The symptoms. So you can treat this as a medical condition or you can treat this as a mental health, health condition, disorder. depending on what it is. And then you have to parse through, tease out what exactly you're dealing with here. So the symptoms are different from throwing up. The food is undigested and often still, sorry, but often still tastes the same as when it was first eaten. <laughs> it's yeah. just so weird that that's like, I don't know, it makes me go, ooh, but I mean, it makes sense too, right? And it may, like I said, look like other medical conditions. It's often misdiagnosed as a vomiting disorder, such as, uh, delayed digestion, which I said was gastroparesis or uh, GERD heartburn. And the symptoms do not get better with usual treatment of reflux. So that's how they know it's more of a mental disorder. So if I'm going to give you medication to help with your GERD or with your gastroparesis and it doesn't stop, it carries on because there's some mental illness involved or because it's been going on for so long, it has become a physical thing. Like they said, it's um, a, a a learned habit kind of thing and i'm it's not kind of complicated isn't it, it? Is like i'm very... tr- cause I'm trying to make this sound clear but i'm i'm getting muddled with myself no, trying to work I know, through it because it like how does one train yourself to do that to well, your body well it starts when they're really young right and then so as you're growing you that get just becomes it. it just becomes a part of oh this is how what happens when i eat right um, so the treatment is dependent on age, overall current and past medical history, how sick the person is at the time, um, how well the person can handle specific medications, procedures, or therapies, and how long the condition is expected to last. There are no medications to treat this. So when they were saying medicines, it's more like to to see to treat for GERD and things like that to see if it works. Okay. But you can't. There's no pill to to make this go away. Um, so they have to relearn how to eat and uh, do diaphragmatic breathing and training by a behavioral psychologist. Really? So and they relearn. speech therapists come into play? It might, yeah, because they might. Something like that? I would think so because they're looking at how they swallow and stuff like that. Right. Um, and what if there's any other online. So they have to learn mm-hmm. how to eat. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's, it's. It's a kind of a complicated one, isn't it? It is. And I, I could see why it would be difficult to treat because what are we dealing with here, right? It could 
look both ways. Like it could truly be based solely on a medical condition that becomes, like they said, a, a habit or cause from something else, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the other de- the, uh, the other eating disorders are both a mental health and physical, but this one, it's like, what are we dealing with here? <laughs> well, and they all have it's their distinctions. It's ambiguous. Yeah. Is that the right word? That's a good word. Because it's not, boom, it's yeah. this, or boom, it's that. Well, like anorexia, we know anorexia. Mm-hmm. It has its distinguishing mark. Mm-hmm. Bulimia, bulimia has its distinguishing mark. Yeah. And we look at this rumination, it has so many different facets. And they're all, and, and they're, yeah, like ambiguous. It could be. Yeah, it's fluid. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to put your finger on what it is. So, I mean, it also looks like, though, that there, that treatment may, there, you know, like the, the relearning and stuff like that, depending on what it is, that you might actually have a, a treatment for this. Right. So I, I didn't see anywhere what the, outcome long term would be I, I had a hard time finding that but uh, at least there's some kind of uh, maybe psychosocial or uh, psychological or um, like you said having speech therapists and stuff like that to relearn how to how to keep your food down basically yeah okay so we're going to move on to the binge to binge eating disorders now we touched on it a little bit in last episode but this one this is where we have conditions that are falling under the other specified feeding or eating disorders or OSFED. So binge eating disorders, there's no throwing up involved. It's just eating a large amount of food. It's not associated with the recurrent use of inappropriate compensatory behavior, such as bulimia and does not occur exclusive during the course of bulimia or anorexia. Um, so that's what binge eating disorder is. You're basically overeating and you're not purging. And it's like bulimia and anorexia are often a, well, I guess it's a compensatory, compensatory that I'm saying it right. Yeah. So yeah, it's basically doing overeating to the point of being sick. Okay. So honey, would this be like, sadly, these women, sadly, that are on TV and being exploited, being exploited, um, the 1,000 pound sisters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all they do is binge eat, binge eat, binge eat. They're not purging or they're... Um, yeah. I don't know. I've never watched the show. No. But, but I'm I mean, wondering it's, if it's, they're it's that It's everywhere size. you see it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, it's addiction, right? It's coping mechanism. Right. You know, most people that have this have some kind of deep-seated trauma. Mm-hmm. But yeah and you wonder like i said i haven't watched these shows either but i mean are they enjoying the food is it addiction is it a need it's a coping mechanism yeah they're definitely that that's a good question next we're going to move on to atypical anorexia so it meets all the criteria of anorexia except for the significant weight loss the people that have it might be within normal or above average body weight okay and so for some reason, I don't know how it works, <laughs> but they're anorexic, but they're not extremely underweight. But like we said before, there are so many women and, and some men out there that are at weight or above weight that have terrible eating disorders. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't go whoa right in your face, right? And it's often not times until they're really sick that it's and they do their blood work and stuff like that and say holy crap this person's malnourished they're so unwell and that kind of thing or it, or it manifests itself in other ways because you said you could be at at normal mm-hmm. weight or above it mm-hmm. and you could be type 2 diabetic yeah um and other ways that it can manifest itself where the the yeah i mean that's something that i think i'd like to dig in a bit deeper as um how you can have that i mean i'm, I'm not i mean it's a thing it's it's real but i'd like to know what makes their bodies differ mm-hmm. like what's what's happening there that makes them keep their weight at where it's at yeah because once that trigger for an anorexic mm-hmm. that triggers there they can do whatever they want yeah and you know what it makes me think about even just some athletes mm-hmm. right there are some athletes that have to be or you say like dancers and stuff like that that have to be this particular size but overall they look healthy but they, they could be anorexic as well right 
Next we have, this is a mouthful, binge eating disorder of low frequency or limited duration. So when all the symptoms of bulimia, but the binge eating and subsequent purging occurs at a lower frequency and for less than three months. So you binge, um, eat, you have the symptoms of bulimia, but it's for a short period of time. What turned it off? What turned it on? What turned it off? Exactly. Good question. You know, I, I, I think about what I went through. Um, I mean, I, I had bulimia. I've been known to, to binge eat, like, you know, like just go nuts on a weekend or something. But uh, is that the same? What made it stop or not stop? It's a good question. I mean. Right. Because it's in a small period of time. Now, you could be going through hell yeah. in that three months binging and torturing yourself and calling yourself names because yeah. you're doing this to yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, you've made it stop. Or you could have had other eating disorders, right? Okay. And and so this is what's manifesting at this time. Who knows? It's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's awful either way, but you're right. Like, what is that? What's the trigger? Mm-hmm. Next is purging disorder and they eat, what is considered a normal amount of food, but they don't engage in binges or food restrictions. They use laxatives or self-induced vomiting or over-exercise. And that's how they influence their weight or their shape. Okay. Okay. So they eat normally, but they throw it up. Right. They're not binging it. Or laxatives or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So all those purging tools for lack of better words that they use, but there's just uh, normal amounts, mm-hmm. whatever a normal amount of food is. Next we have night eating syndrome. And this is when someone either wakes up during the night to eat or consumes a lot of food just before going to bed after their evening meal. It's diagnosed when the behavior cannot be better explained by environmental influences or social norms or by um, another mental eating, uh, mental health disorder. Now I had a friend that I worked with who was quitting smoking and she went on, I think it was Champex. Okay. Which yeah. is also, I think, um, like an antidepressant or something like that. It yes. has, it has dual <laughs> purposes. Right. And we're talking, she's little, she's just a little short person, you know, not quite five feet and she's, um, very fit. And she went on the Champex to quit smoking and she was very, you know, careful with her diet, but she started eating in the middle of the night. Didn't even know it. Didn't remember it. Yeah. And she'd wake up with wrappers around her or the kitchen being a mess. And it freaked her the hell out. She's like, when am I doing it? How am I doing it? And so she started to put on a bit of weight with it. And she was just at her wits end because it was helping her quit smoking. But here she is now Mm -hmm. midnight or over. So she ended up coming off of it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've gotten up in the middle of the night and be like, mm, I could use a little bowl of cereal or no, something. No, but you're doing that and you're conscious yeah. of it. I, I know of two women, but now there's mental disorders that are attached to it um, because of the medications they were on. But they would binge eat at night and not have any memory of it all. And they would have full-on meals. Full on. Yeah, some people will actually kind of cook and stuff. Yeah. Like you'll come out and they've made a grilled cheese and I'm, this is not me making jokes. It's like, how scary is that too? Yes. Like you don't even know you're doing it. You're, you're operating a stove or a knife. A not, yes. A yeah. knife. I didn't even think about that. Well, and, and what? Or your fridge is left wide open or whatever. No. What happens if somebody interrupts you in the middle of something yeah, like, like this? Yeah. Like would you wake it... up or. Mm-hmm. What would happen? And then I think about like choking and just different things like that. It's yeah. uh, that's that's frightening. So that is uh, nighting uh, syndrome. The next one. Now, I went into a little bit of detail here because I don't know if a lot of people know about this. It's called diabulimia, and I actually treated uh, a young, um, like a teenager, 13, 14 years old, who had this. I just wanted to cover it a little bit more and it also gives a little bit of education on diabetes a little bit. So it's a life-threatening eating disorder in which a person with type 1 diabetes withholds or restricts their insulin in order to lose weight. They may or may not have uh, another eating disorder 
with it. So this could be just by itself or they could have anorexia, bulimia, that, that type of thing. Diabulimia is a serious condition that requires treatment, a lack of insulin, and persistent hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia meaning high blood sugar, can lead to dangerous health problems and even death. It's more common in adolescents and females, and it usually occurs between the ages of 15 to 30 years old. The symptoms? Unexplained loss of weight, an A1C of 9 or higher. An A1C is a blood test that's taken that gives you a picture of the last three months of uh, your blood sugars and, and that. So, um, which I think is incredible. We were just talking about this today. Like, how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> it works. It's all that matters. But how it works is incredible. Um, persistent thirst and frequent urination. Frequent episodes of nausea and vomiting. Multiple diabetic-related ketoacidosis episodes. Ketoacidosis is when your blood becomes acidic. And I'll explain a little bit more how that works in, in a minute without any explainable causes, like in, like infection or, or that kind of thing. Fatigue or lethargy, frequent UTIs or vaginal yeast infections, deteriorating or blurry vision, dry skin and hair. Behaviorally, how this works is they're not having, it's called a bolus. So you're about to eat. So you take a bolus. So a certain amount of insulin so that it's in your system and as you're eating and as it starts to break down and want to use this energy, the insulin is doing what the pancreas is supposed to be doing. Right. And so they're either not taking it or they're under bolusing themselves. So they're not taking enough. Um, they, you see an increased neglect of diabetes management, secrecy about diabetes ma management, avoiding diabetes related appointments, they're uncomfortable in testing their blood sugar or administering insulin in front of others. So they don't want you to it's see what, secretive. what they're doing or not doing, right? Infrequent filled insulin prescriptions and sleeping more than usual. From an emotional psychological point of view, they fear that the insulin causes weight gain. And it does. If you go in and you're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes... You're likely in there because you've lost a ton of weight. You're thirsty all the time. You're peeing a lot and you're having these other symptoms. Um, symptoms. <clears throat> but in some people that's welcome. You know mm -hmm. how effed up this world is. You're supposed to look this way, act this way. Mm -hmm. So then when the insulin's working, they put the weight on and it scares them. Right. And that's, I would think that maybe there is already um, propensity towards, you know, a, or it's possible that they're already in the realm of eating disorders and have the things that go with it, like low self-esteem and uh, distorted body image and that kind of stuff. Isn't it enough that you're diabetic and the games that they'll play with their bodies and themselves? Some of them. And I, and when I was treating this one um, uh, teenager, I'll tell you a little bit more, they welcome it. They're like, Oh, I've got an easy way to lose weight now. Oh. And then the, the, long-term effect of that the, it's a snowball out of control um if they don't get proper treatment for it so they fear that insulin causes weight gain they have anxiety about their body image and they're feeling drained about their um diabetes management it's called uh diabetic burnout because it just gets so tired of counting calories looking at what they eat testing their blood sugar all day, weighing themselves. Like the, it's a me? lot of work, Why right? Why do I have to do this? So they just sort of get like exhausted with it. Yes. They, um, depression, anxiety, irritable and have mood swings and an obsessive interest in food calories and dieting. The causes are having eating disorder complex conditions. And there are many, many reasons that can cause this. And it's a combo of physical, social, and mental health problems. The whole process of managing their diabetes may trigger them to diabulimia and an eating disorder. Okay. Because they're like, oh, I have to take insulin now. But wait a minute. If I don't take it, I lose weight. Right. They have a cons constant and intense focus on food, especially carbs, needing to track several numbers such as blood glucose levels and the A1C and weight needing to consume food in order to treat the low blood sugar, which can lead to weight gain, feeling shame about how they manage their diabetes. They feel shame about having a chronic illness. Right. And 
they have difficulty maintaining a healthy weight. The burnout that we talked about, wanting a sense of control, body image uh, issues, desire to lose weight, weight gain. I've already said this after the initial diagnosis and treatment, they start to put the weight on. Healthy weight is what they're getting. You know, it's not, they're becoming overweight. Right. Environment and culture. Thin bodies are uh, attractive social social norms and it's seen all over the media. And so it's, oh, well, I can do this quickly. Mm-hmm. Peer pressure. Bullying, teasing, ridicule due to their appearance and having diabetes. Right. Like kids will, people will tease someone. Make them feel shame mm-hmm. for having a chronic illness. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Emotional health, perfectionism, impulsive behavior, and difficult relationships. Just through these sorry case, just sort of replaying in my head since we started the series on eating disorders, it all, there's so many similarities. The OCD. um, Perfectionism. Perfectionism. There's so many similarities with trauma. Yes. Mm -hmm. Big time trauma Mm -hmm. with these eating disorders that, it's it's repetitive. Mm-hmm. It's repetitive. It's in each of our cycles that we've done this. These there's at least one string that you can you lead you can, back to yeah. another disorder. Yeah, it's it is. Um, so how do you treat this? Well, first of all, there. What are the goals? So using insulin properly, healthy management of blood glucose levels and weight, avoiding short term and long term diabetic complications, treating psychological issues, and developing a long-term behavioral uh, change for the diabetic management. And so you have to treat all of these. So your goal is, let's be there. And then you start to have to break down and treat that. And that's a lot mm-hmm. to, to look at there. It's a lot of things to treat. So depression and anxiety are common with diabetes because all you, you're often in and out of the doctor's offices, uh, specialist appointments, the just the care you have to give yourself uh you know like who doesn't want to go out and you know have a burger but i mean i mean i'm not gonna lie my dad passed away at 37 and my brother at 23 they were both severe diabetics and i can your dad had burnout yeah and so my dad would have been diagnosed what in the late 40s mm. early 50s 50s I 50 think. yeah so yeah yeah and so i mean Insulin had just started to get, it wasn't much earlier than that, that they even discovered insulin, right? So he kind of came in behind the eight ball mm-hmm. or in front, is it behind the eight it's ball? Behind the eight ball. <laughs> you know, so already dealing with uh, what was available in that time. But I know he just wanted to, and I mean, this is not justifying any bad behaviors, but I think, you know, there's that desire just to be normal, uh, however you want to put it. I want to go out and drink with the boys. I want to have a burger. I want to not have to worry about taking my insulin or sleeping in early like late and that kind of stuff so you know it's easy i think to just do these little things here and there but it adds up with this disease and same with my brother he um i think he just wanted to be a normal teenager a normal guy and he got sick really young and it just sort of snowballed depression all of it i mean you can see the mental health aspect how it affects both my uh, dad and my brother um, and I'm glad you did this piece on eating disorders for diabetics. The diabolemia? Yes, I'm really glad you did this. Thank you. And I think that any of you guys that are listening, maybe there's someone in your family that has it and you are not aware of it. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot to understand about diabetes itself. And not, you know, if I think maybe if I wasn't a nurse, I might not know much about it, right? Just because why would I? Mm-hmm. Other than my brother and my father, right? Um, but I, yeah. Um, so depression, anxiety are common. They will need to get some psychotherapy, nutrition, uh, education, medications. It's overwhelming when you think about it. Mm-hmm. See an endocrinologist, uh, psychologist or therapist, dietitians, nutritionalists, and a certified diabetes educator. So it's a team approach. The outlook or prognosis is dependent on how long the person has had diabulimia, how much and how often they are restricting their insulin, if they have other eating disorders along with it, and the type of treatment and adherence to treatment. So short-term do- complications are DKA, which is your diabetic ketoacidosis. It's life-threatening. You don't have enough insulin. Your body breaks down the fat for energy. 
when that fat is being broken down, it releases something called ketones. And the ketones get into the blood stream and the blood becomes acidic. And then all the organs in your body get very badly effect affected. It um, causes severe dehydration. And this happens because now your blood is acidic and your body's like, no, we got to get this out of here. Right. So your kidneys work in overdrive. Your body's working in overdrive to, to push it out. Basically, your body's trying to get rid of the ketones. And they do that by trying to break it down and then pee it out, get it out of your body. But then it's working so hard at that that you become extremely dehydrated. dehydrated. But you're also nauseated and you're super thirsty. You and can't feel great. No. And the more that the liquids that you're drinking, the, it's just being, it's just going in and out. Yeah. There's really doesn't have there's a no positive balance. there's yeah. no balance no benefit from it it also leads to slow wound healing muscle atrophy because after the the fat's gone it starts working on what muscle. else is there to to, to provide energy mm -hmm. staph or bacterial infections because your immune system is compromised so you're at greater risk of picking up things and yeast infections now the long-term complications are the real scary ones those are scary but if you get treatment and that is, I mean, any diabetic, they can get sick and can go into ketoacidosis. This can throw your whole body off for different reasons. But if you can stop those behaviors, the short-term complications don't turn into long-term ones. Right. Because the long-term ones are loss of vision and blindness, peripheral neuropathy, which is the damage of the ner nerves of the central nervous system, which is your brain and spinal cord. And what happens is that your hands, it starts with your hands and feet and moves up. Numbness, tingling, muscle weakness, and pain. And it's very painful. Gastroparesis, stomach can't empty because of the vagus nerve damage um, by having constant high blood sugars. Cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, and liver disease. So that's your long-term effects of this. This is a very, 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 very scary and serious uh, eating condition. disorder. Eating disorder, yeah. So that's it for diabulimia. The um, the teenagers that I took care of, she um, she's very she was very manipulative, and the parents were just at the end. They didn't know what to do. They were pulling their hair hair out because she needs treatment. But if she's not doing it, like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And when she was in the hospital, she was just like still trying to manipulate, mm -hmm. still trying to get out of taking insulin, lying, you know, oh, no, 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 I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I'm following this, I'm following that, and, you know, it, she was so sick, but even as sick as she was, it meant that whatever she was doing was working, do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, I do know what you mean. So, it's, uh, you know, she's so deep into the illness that it's worth being really sick to be at this weight. Yeah, and how can I convince you just let me try to help you and you can feel so much better. Yeah. And, but you don't give yourself that permission. Yeah. And she was in and out of like hospital doctor's office for chronic infections and, and things like that. Again, she's growing. She's growing. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that do? I mean, you can go from a, a well-managed diabetic to uh, a brittle diabetic within a couple of years. Yeah. So it's scary. So yeah, I thought it was important to, to cover. No, I'm glad you that did. One. Cause it's, it's near and dear to my heart because I lost two very, very wonderful, important people in my life mm -hmm. um, to the disease. And um, when I saw your uh, notes that you had picked up on that particular eating disorder, I was I was really pleased to see that. Well, hopefully you guys, um, you know, learned something and got something out of that. And I hope no one you know is suffering from this, but... Now you can, you know, sort of store that in the back of your head. So you have some kind of, um, so you have that knowledge sitting there if you do notice, or at least, you know, if you're wondering, mm -hmm. you can say, all right, I'm going to maybe dig into this a little deeper. Mm -hmm. But I mean, di people with diabetes can be really manipulative. <laughs> people with eating disorders yeah, can, are very manipulative, period. You put them, put the two together. And, and of course, I don't, I don't think I have to say that I don't believe all people are like that, but it's the kind of disease that, that you can see these types of behaviors happening. Yeah. I mean, what a huge life change it is if you're diabetic. Mm -hmm. um, my son was just diagnosed uh, back in the uh, summertime. 
but he's doing really well. Like he's, he was just like, okay, what do I need to do to be healthy? And he's been following it and he's doing well. So it doesn't have to be this like scary sort of death sentence type of thing. It, it's a wake up call to like get healthy here. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing well. So, um, but I was scared. I'm just like, no, my brother, my father, and now my son, but he's a totally different person and it's a different time than them. So I, right. I, I had to tell myself to cut it out and <laughs> work with them. Well, you're, you're the mom. You've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. That's been part of your trauma, losing these, your yeah. brother and your dad. Yeah, I was only 13 when my dad died. That's pretty young. That's very my young. my dad was only 37. Exactly. Ugh. Exactly. Crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I sort of, I shouldn't have done it, but when I, when I told my son, I was like, okay, you got to watch out for heart disease and this and this and this and this. And he's like, you don't have to terrify me to, to, to be compliant, mom. I'm like, no, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm your mother. When he was young, I told him that, um, that snails live up high in your nose. So if you pick your nose, a snail will bite your finger and he's like you don't have to do that to me anymore <laughs> <laughs> like okay never been a problem yeah <laughs> and there's no snails no <laughs> that we know of yeah that we know of um i haven't gone that far <laughs> okay <laughs> i know this is when you're like i'm out i'm leaving the room yeah we're done here i'm done okay so uh yeah that's um that is our series uh, on uh, mini series on eating disorders uh, finished. And um, thank you guys for, for listening. And thank you, Anne Marie, for talking to us and letting us interview her and just get all this knowledge. And I definitely feel that I learned a ton. And maybe, maybe it's, I hope it's helped some people listening to this. I know it's, it's helped me and maybe I can help somebody else if they, if they need it or even just for my own self. Well, thanks for sticking with us too, because this was the longest amount of parts that we did on one specific subject that has many facets mm-hmm. to it. So thanks for sticking with us. It's it's really been a ride for us too. Yeah, definitely. Now we've got some new and exciting episodes coming up. You're just going to have to come back and find out what we're going to be talking about next. Indeed. And uh, until next time, well, first of all, before we do, before we end this, Come check out our Facebook page. Join the group. Jump in. Um, there's a, a lot of um, support on there. Everybody on there is kind and wonderful and inspirational. So um, you're welcome to join the group. It's Stable and Able Podcast. And our email is stableandablepod at gmail.com. Drop us a line if you wish. And uh, yeah, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Let's take the path of healing together. And remember to take care of yourself. Take care of one another. Love each other, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. One, four, three.